Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Is this a talent gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between you and Ohio State at this point? I mean, I'll answer your questions, not your insults, so. Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, December 1st, 2019. I am Dan Rubin. This is Buck Nuts Almost Live, our in-season Sunday morning podcast. We are thrilled to be joined today by Matt Baxendale, the People's Champ, and then he'll be followed up by who else? Bill Curlick, the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting. And we have much to discuss, much to celebrate. We thank Jimmy for opening the show, but now we will sit and bask in the glow. Bax, you were on the road for your kids' hockey tournament once again. It's been a glorious ride as you spend every weekend watching your Buckeyes whip ass, especially in Ann Arbor. Let's talk about yesterday. The Buckeyes win 56-27. The beat goes on. Your general thoughts on Ohio State's dominance over that team up north. Well, first and foremost, this is the third time I've had to come up to that state up north this fall for a hockey tournament. And those three weekends all were Michigan losses. So uh, I'm opening a GoFundMe for uh, backs to have to go to Michigan every weekend next fall so we can laugh at them as they go 0-12. Uh, now, that said, the number that really matters here is eight, as in eight in a row for Ohio State, a new school record, a modern era record. That's 15 of the last 16 and 17 of the last 19. This is a one-way street right now, folks. And uh, the joke that I was making all day yesterday, that uh, the uh, very talented Dan Wetzel also put in his column beating me because uh, my bucket of bullets publishes this morning is Michigan has spent all year arguing with Sparty over who's the little brother. But at the end of the day, Ohio State shows up and we know who their daddy really is. This is an absolute flat-out beating for the Buckeyes in this game, 29 points. And if you look at the way this is going, it's not just that Ohio State's won eight in a row in this series. The last four years, it's gotten consistently worse. Four years ago was that famous double overtime game, the team that Urban Myers repeatedly said was the best team Jim Harbaugh had. That was a team they had like 40 seniors on, by the way, so it gives you kind of a perspective. Well, the next year, Ohio State won by 11. And then the next year, Ohio State won by 23. And then the next year, Ohio State won by 29. And let's face it, if Ryan Day had really wanted to, he could have outscored the number from last year, but he smartly took Justin Fields out of the game to give Chuganov some time whenever it was officially and long since over. The truth is, if you watch that game, it really didn't even feel like it should have been that close. I'm not sure what Ohio State was doing defensively in the first half, running out a 4-4 scheme against a team that's gotten all of its recent success in the air. But obviously they were going to have some success with the completed receivers that Michigan has when you have Justin Hilliard and Tuff Borland playing zone D. On one play, Pete Werner was lined up as the safety. So, go figure. But the good news is the Buckeyes adjusted in the second half. Patterson went four for 25, which is a much more reasonable facsimile of what they should be doing against this defense. 
end of the day, though, it was all academic. Ohio State outscored them by 29 points. It's not a, it's not even a close game. And if you watch the defense for Michigan up against the OSU offense, they were small. It was like watching a, a mid-level team against OSU. Michigan does not have the horses on defense to hold up to this level of attack. And, look, the results bore out on the field yesterday. We're now 12-0, and and at no point in time have I felt the fear. And I've talked about this repeatedly. You know, that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach that something's going to go wrong. We haven't been in a game that that's within a touchdown for more than a couple minutes in the fourth quarter against Penn State. And everything else other than that is, is, is massive blowouts. I mean, Michigan State hung closer to Ohio State than Michigan did. So I, I don't really know how to put it other than you know, maybe, maybe the one who put it best was I was listening to the last dying minutes of the game yesterday driving to one of the hockey games up here, and uh, Jim Branstetter and Dan Deardorff from the Michigan Radio Network were talking. And Branstetter was like, well, let's see what else is on the schedule today. Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're going to play each other for the right that you get the crap kicked out of them by Ohio State in a week. And that pretty much sums it up. Right now, Ohio State is the most dominant team in the country and eviscerating your rival for the eighth straight year. Just another great example. This is, this is, this is wonderful because it's the first time we can say it'll be 3,000 days since Michigan beat Ohio State of football. And by the way, folks, one other thing. That loss, the only loss in the last 16 years, was a year where Ohio State had an interim coach. It was kind of a tainted lost year. At full bore, Ohio State has not lost to Michigan since 2003. Think about that. That's crazy. You mentioned not having that feeling in the pit of your stomach. I've not felt it either. Those times that it has gotten a little bit close, I just have never felt the, the team they were going against at the time, especially yesterday, had any chance of stopping the Buckeyes. They lost that game when they missed the extra point. Michigan State, you made a good point, did a much better job. Penn State did a much better job of turning back the run early and giving you a feeling like they could actually even hang in the game for a few rounds. Let's answer the question that was posed to Jimmy. Where is the gap? Why is it happening this way? I have my theory on it. It's very basic. What is your theory on why Ohio State has widened the gap? Because Ohio State has better players. I mean, yep. plain and simple. Uh, there, there's a massive difference between the talent at Ohio State and the talent at Michigan. It's not a scheme thing. Michigan's scheme is perfectly fine. Heck, that first drive, they schemed the heck out of Ohio State. Wonderful drive. Ohio State had a really dumb scheme going in the first half on defense in a 4-4 set against a team that throws the ball well. Michigan has very good receivers. All right, I'm sorry, but Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, Nico Collins might be the best receiver in the Big Ten outside of Olave. You know, you've got guys like Tariq Black who have shown that they can be big-time players. Ronnie Bell's a very good receiver. They have receivers. But what other position groups do you look at for them and go, man, they got a lot of talent? They don't. Like, I would argue that Ohio State's third and fourth string running backs are as good as anybody who's on Michigan's team right now. Crowley and Steel Chambers are every bit as good as that duo that they ran out of against OSU last game. No question in my mind about it. I talked about the defense already for Michigan. They're small. Their D-line is not like a bunch of hosses like OSU's is. They don't have linebackers that, that run and, you know, can, can defend against the pass the way that Pete Warner or Malik Harrison can, right? These, they're, they're secondary a long day since the days of Jordan Lewis and Jabril Peppers in that backfield. The truth is, Jim Harbaugh's recruiting at a top 15 level. That's about where their team is. Ohio State's recruiting at a top three level, and that's where their team is. And when you repeatedly recruit classes that bring in top five level talent, then when you go against a team like Michigan that repeatedly brings in top 10 to 20 classes, 
you're normally going to win. Unless something weird happens, like multiple turnovers, the team with more talent usually wins in college football. And that's the biggest difference in this series, is that Michigan does not get players from Ohio anymore. They are not able to directly impact the rivalry in recruiting like that anymore. And the memory of them being able to get the top Ohio kids is literally fading into the, the old dusty history books. You know the last time Michigan won a Big Ten championship? That was 2004. Recruits were being recruited today for the classes of 2021-2022 were potentially not even alive whenever Michigan last won the Big Ten in football. So when you can't recruit at the level you need to to compete with an uber-elite program like Ohio State or like Penn State, good luck, right? And by the way, look who Michigan's lost to this year. The three times they've played legitimate top ten teams, they've gotten their asses handed to them. The rest of the year, yeah, they've not been too bad. You know, even be, they, they beat up on teams they should beat up on. That's the, that's the simple truth, right? They're, they are a top 15 team. They're like the gatekeeper if you watch UFC. There's always a guy for a weight class that you got to beat to be able to compete for the championship. Michigan's that gatekeeper. The teams that should beat them beat them. The teams that shouldn't beat them don't. And they don't have the talent to play with a team like Ohio State unless a team like Ohio State beats themselves. In the last two years, that hasn't happened. Here's a public service announcement for anybody who's going to be picking the Michigan-Ohio State game for the next two years. The recruiting is done. The hay is in the barn. There's nothing they can do now for the next two years. Do not pick Michigan, okay? National people, if you see someone pick Michigan in the next two years, it's shtick. Go look at the recruiting classes. Look at what the Buckeyes have coming in just next year, player for player compared to Michigan. And look who signed up for the class afterwards. It's not the same caliber of football player. From a recruiting perspective, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama have separated themselves from the pack. So next year at this time, it's going to be Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, and whoever else, provided they stay healthy. The only reason Alabama isn't there this year is because of injuries. Those three teams have the best players. Joe Burrow's not transferring to LSU over this offseason. It's a fluke. Let's talk about individual performances. I'm going to start with the quarterback. Let's use the word interesting series of events where he hurt his knee, I air quote hurt, being on the site at that time and that feeling that whips through Buckeye Nation as you see the championship possibly flash before your eyes. His return was not only immediate, the fear was gone after the commercial break for those watching on TV. Then he put the brace on and came in and the first play he throws just an unbelievable touchdown pass. Garrett Wilson, who is, as I said before, I think the player on the team most likely to make the NFL Hall of Fame. The performance Fields had does seem like now that game, at least from a national perspective, has taken all doubt out of the Fields experience. Well, that's the moment from this game we're going to see replayed in the intros to games for the next 30 years. Fields goes down with an injury and gets helped off the field. He looks bad, and then he's going to come back in, and they're going to have some audio clip of going, Justin Fields is coming back in. Oh, my. And then they're going to show him throw that ridiculous touchdown. And it's, this is one of those moments that's going to be one of the legends that lives in the lore of this game. There's zero debate about it. Like, if, if, what we're going to remember about this game in 2040 is, oh, remember when Fields hurt his knee and then came right back in and threw that insane touchdown rolling the wrong way? That's what we're going to remember. And you know what else we might remember about this team? It's a legitimate possibility that they have three Heisman finalists. Because look at the national scene and see who is really in this race. It's Burrow, it's the three Buckeyes, and it's potentially Jonathan Taylor. 
But if he gets his teeth kicked in next week like he did the first time he played Ohio State, are they really going to invite him to New York? You may see Ohio State finish with the second through fourth place finishers for the Heisman this year. Because you're going to tell me that Dobbins didn't have an equally good game to Fields? Dobbins was excellent in that game, right? And the end of the day, he, are you going to say that Dobbins shouldn't be invited to, the, to the, the Heisman ceremony when it's 260 yards of offense and four touchdowns? Sure, Chase Young didn't have a great game, but Chase Young at this point was already a player who should have been there, period. So you're talking about an OSU team legitimately that's three of the top four Heisman finalists right now, and that's just a really impressive statistic when you look at it. I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if that happened. Those four people go to the Heisman ceremony. It's going to be incredible that there are three Buckeyes there, but it's going to be more incredible that the fourth is Joe Burrow and the fact that it's really four Buckeyes there. There has never been a Heisman ceremony where those four guys have at one point in time been in the same locker room with the same jersey on. That would be tremendous. You did mention Dobbins. I don't know what else to say about the guy except how impressed I am. I was a little bit wary going into this game, given the workload he had against Penn State, and then he bounced that first turn to himself. But when they come out and the other team can't stop Dobbins, the game is essentially over, in my opinion. I, I, you talked about the, the vibe. The vibe left, or never even appeared, because if you cannot stop the run with the Buckeyes, you are going to lose. I mean, you're mostly going to lose anyway, no matter who plays them, but if you let them line up and they're getting eight yards on first down, it's over with the defense we got on that for a little bit first half questionable they definitely got carved up i will say if there are people out there who are michigan fans and dallas cowboys fans i pity them because michigan turned in a jason garrett like performance where in the first half you have really good numbers and look up and you've made just enough mistakes to screw yourself over second half the defense adjusted beautifully talk about the adjustments and then really what they did to Shea Patterson before and afterwards. Halftime, that is. Well, first of all, I think Ohio State can thank Michigan for making some boneheaded errors in the first half to let them stay in this game. Uh, you want to encapsulate the way the rivalry has gone this year and in this decade and really this century? It's the drive where it's 21-13. to 13. Michigan's moving the football against that illogical 4-4. It's third medium right around the, the red zone area for Michigan. And Shea Patterson literally drops the ball. Hits him right in the hands, rolls on the ground, B.B. Landers comes away with it, and OSU stops him from scoring. Well, if that's not bad enough, OSU drives maybe 40 yards and has to punt, and Michigan idiotically jumps offside, which extends the drive. So naturally, OSU scores two plays later, and it's 28-13, to 13, and that was really the point where it felt like the game was, barring some stupidity, never in doubt. And that's kind of what helped OSU in a first half where Patterson threw for 250 yards. OSU was in absolutely the wrong defense the whole first half. And I know they were missing Sean Wade, who's a critical part of this team's defense, particularly against a team like Michigan with that many good receivers. But it was illogical to use a 4-4-3 set against a team that's not known for running the ball very well. A 4-4-3 works great against Wisconsin because then you're forcing Jack Cohen to to, to beat Okuda or Arnett one-on-one in a passing game, right? And you have the extra linebacker in there to hammer Taylor. Makes a ton of sense. But when you're going against a Michigan team, that their, their leading rusher coming into the game ended up with seven yards rushing, it's illogical. So you saw a lot of sets where Michigan is having wide-open guys because we're shifting to zone coverage with four linebackers on the field. There was one catch they had where 
Uh, Jordan Fuller was covering Donovan Peoples-Jones. And you had Pete Warner lined up as the safety because you didn't have enough guys who could cover on the field against the receivers. I genuinely do not know what the defensive staff was doing in the first half. And I genuinely believe the byproduct of most of Michigan's yardage was poor schematic choices by the Buckeyes. And the reason you saw a second half where Michigan did virtually nothing was because Ohio State shifted back to a pretty much base D set. They let Seven Banks and Cam Brown play more, right? They, they took the, the fourth linebacker off the field, and they, they got themselves in a normal set. They also got a better pass rush, which helped. But Ohio State, look, people talk about all these drops that Michigan had in the second half. You know why they dropped a lot of those footballs? Because guys who could actually cover were on them instead of being wide open like they were in the first half. So the second half is what would have happened in the first half if you had just started off not trying to get too smart and outsmart yourself. They left the base defense on the field. I don't know if Michigan gets a lot of those yards. And by the way, in the second half, they got the points off of the Garrett Wilson muffed fumble, and then it was the same situation where they gave up a touchdown drive where you could tell that the Buckeyes thought the game was in the bag. And that's two straight weeks they've given up a touchdown where you go, all right, guys, come on. The game was ready to be in, in next stomp territory. Let's not give up another drive here. But at the end of the day, the defense didn't play poorly. But they did allow the most points and most yards allowed in, in any game this season thus far. Um, now, the real interesting thing is, is, is in the first half, you had them with, like, what, 290 yards? In the second half, they had less than 100. So that encapsulates the difference between just playing your base D set and not playing a 4-4 D. I know they're trying to make things harder, maybe, you know, give themselves a little bit of a challenge on a day where they were expecting to run away with it, like, you know, like turning up the speed in the game on Heisman level or something. But in the end, OSU defense was clearly better. They just weren't put in a position to succeed in the first half. Let's finish with this, Max, before we get to the Dean. The college football playoff, I'm really not that interested in right now. I don't think there's going to be any movement, so we'll scrap that. Your initial thoughts on the rematch with Whiskey? I really wish it had been Minnesota because it would have been a new opponent. Um, I did some searching, and I put this in the bucket as well. Ohio State, as far as I can tell, in its history has had one rematch game in a uh, championship game or a bowl game that I've been able to find, and that was in 1976 when Ohio State began the year uh, early in September, went out to Los Angeles to play UCLA. In that game against UCLA, Ohio State kicked their teeth in. It was 41-20. to That Ohio State team eventually went on to be undefeated. However, they went back to the Rose Bowl, and this is Archie Griffin's senior year, and they played a UCLA team that was 8-2-1 and and was a 15-point underdog. Somehow the Buckeyes blew that game and blew a national championship with it. So, at the end of the day, that's the only rematch that – and granted, there, maybe there's another one. I'm not Jack Park. But that's a rematch where Ohio State was a massive favorite going into the game. And at the end of the day, what happened? They lost. So I'm nervous about that because, let's face it, it's weird in college football playing a team twice in a season, right? It's a weird dynamic. And now the truth is, Ohio State's way better than Wisconsin. That 38-7 to score from earlier this year is about appropriate, right? I don't see Wisconsin running much better than they did the first game. You know OSU's going to come out in a 4-4-3. And Miss Wisconsin can't pass well enough to beat them. That's the simple truth. Ohio State's the better football team. And right now, they're just flat out the better football team against anybody they've really got to play this year. Getting into the playoff, well, we'll see how Clemson or LSU is. But I just I look at this Big Ten championship game, and I say, as long as the Buckeyes show up ready to play, they're going to win the football game, period. I agree. I don't see how Wisconsin scores enough points. We appreciate the people's champ stopping by. He is behind enemy lines, and he is happy.
Max, have a great Sunday. Hey, it's always a good Sunday when Ohio State just beat Michigan in football. This is true. We're going to take a quick commercial break and be back with the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curley. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. The Dean is here. Bill, how are you? Good morning, Dan. I I woke up at 7 a.m. this morning. It was raining. But it is sunny nonetheless in Columbus. Uh, anytime you beat Michigan, it's sunny in Columbus. And actually, the clouds have all dissipated, uh, blue sky, and really sunny days now. Bill, I know we sometimes don't like to delve too much into your uh, vast experience, but you've been a witness to the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry for some time. Your thoughts on where it is right now and Ohio State's pure dominance in the rivalry? Well, as you said that, Dan, I think Ohio State just scored again. But, uh, <laughs> um, um, you know, I think Justin Fields said it best. You know, I think Ohio State, it, it, it's a serious uh, thing at Ohio State. It, it's pointed from from day one every year. You know, <laughs> you go back to Jim Dressel and his proclamation when he took the job and you know, Urban Meyer and Ryan Day certainly gets it. Uh, you know, I just think that uh, that coupled with the fact that, um, you know, High State just has better players. You know, they got better players and they have a great coaching staff. And when you put those two things together, it's just been pure dominance. Uh, you know, I don't quite get a few, I guess, a couple things. Uh, uh, you know, why, if you were Don Brown, would you come out a couple of weeks ago and, and tell Ohio State something and say something along Ohio State better watch out or something like that? You know, some nice players make those mistakes, I call them, in the rivalry, but you don't think that the coach, a coach is going to do that. And, you know, you hear every year, uh, each year, Ohio, that uh, Michigan has a great defense and then Ohio State boat races that defense each year, you know. Mm-hmm. I just think that Ohio State is approaching this game in the right way and the results show on the field, you know, when coupled with having great talent. Yeah, Bill, I said in my conversation with Beth earlier that as a public service announcement, those of you who are picking the game going forward for two years, do not pick Michigan. The recruiting is done. The, the players are already on the team. I don't understand the concept of people going back and changing their mind going forward. Given that, uh, you had an excellent story heading into the game on recruits that were considering both Ohio State and Michigan. Can you tell us which recruits were there, obviously guests of Michigan, that Ohio State wants and got to see the Buckeyes come in and kick some tail? Well, one of them uh, was Bryce Steele, a defensive back out of Virginia that Ohio State's recruiting for their bullet position. Um Michigan's recruiting for their Viper position. It's basically the same type of position, just different name um, at each school. Um, and, he, and he, you know, I actually I have an article on Bucknuts this morning, recruits react to another lopsided Ohio State win. 
and uh, he was one of the guys that uh, that I talked to last night. Uh, he was still in Michigan, as a matter of fact. When I talked to him, he's not leaving till this morning. But um, um, you know, he was at the game, and he uh, he was impressed with Ohio State, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I still think Ohio State, uh, uh, Ohio State, Michigan were as two top two going into the visit, and certainly that game didn't do anything um, to hurt the Buckeyes' chances. I'll say that. Um, you know, there were some others. That Ohio State, you know, Corey Kiner, I, I believe, was there. I haven't confirmed that yet. Um, a running back from Cincinnati that was playing in the other game. I, I hope to talk to him in just a little bit, but uh, um, you know, he's another one. And you know, when I one of the things, Dan, that I looking at the list of prospects. So this is a uh, gets back to the recruiting thing. Looking at the list of prospects that were at the Ohio State Penn State game, as opposed to the Ohio State at Michigan game, you know, to me, there was no comparison. There were more, a better list of recruits, more top recruits at the Penn State at Ohio State game than made it up to Ann Arbor for the game yesterday. You know, that says a lot. And again, you know, people have talked about Michigan catching up with the Buckeyes on the recruiting front in the last couple of years. I don't see that happening. And to be honest, I don't see it happening going forward either. I hope people understand that Justin Fields has to come back. Chris Olave has to come back. Garrett Wilson has to come back. And I was trying to explain this. Ohio State is bringing in arguably the two best receivers in the country next year. Jackson Smith and, yeah. and, and Julian Fleming. Give people an understanding of what that receiving core is just going to be like next year. Yeah, and, and G. Scott Jr. and Mookie Cooper. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, Mookie Cooper was their number one target for the slot position. G. Scott Jr. lit up the opening finals, um, as did Jackson Smith and Jr. for that matter. Uh, and Julian Fleming's a five-star. Um, they've got Marvin Harrison and Jaden Ballard coming in at wide receiver for the next class. You know, uh, if if you're going to tell me there's a better combination of wide receiver coach and wide receiver recruiter anywhere in the country than Brian Hartline, I'm going to ask you to somehow try to prove that. I mean, <laughs> Brian Hartline's not only a great recruiter, but a great coach. And, you know, he develops those guys too. So, um, again, I, I get back to the thing of uh, I just don't see the recruiting catching up. And um, as long as you have a great coaching staff to go along with that, which the Buckeyes do, then you're going to be in good shape. One example of that, you could not tell me Donovan Peoples-Jones would be playing like that if he played for the Buckeyes. All right, Bill, do you think the Buckeyes have a guy that can replace J.K. Dobbins? I think Master Teague can be a very good running back for Ohio State. I think he will be a very good running back for Ohio State. You know, um, Is he going to be J.K. Dobbins? I don't know that I can say that right now. I mean, uh, one recruit told me yesterday after that game, you know, he, just, he said J.K. Dobbins is on a different level. And that's, you know, what it looked like yesterday. The offensive line did a great job yesterday, but there were times when the, you know, the hole wasn't there or the opening wasn't there or it didn't look look like Dobbins was going to get anything. And then he got something and and got, uh, in some cases, a lot of yards. You know, what Mick Marotti has done with him, too, is fantastic. You know, changed his body. You know, Mick Marotti and, of course, J.K. Dobbins getting it done. Um, so I think I think uh, Master Teague is going to be a very effective, good running back for Ohio State. And I think that uh, 
uh, Marcus Crowley and and Steel Chambers can be good running backs for Ohio State. And, and you know, when you get have the other weapons that they're going to have next year with the guys you've mentioned, it's going to be plenty, plenty good enough. Bill, what's the schedule from now on? Let people know. So the team will go to Indianapolis next week. Will the guys be heavily recruiting this week, or will they be in game prep? Given the fact that they go to Indy every year, has it become a thing where they like to have recruits there? Set the scene for the next few weeks. Well, I think you're going to see Ohio State do what they've done all season long, you know, uh, and, and in particular the last few weeks when they've got these games, these huge games against Penn State and Michigan. You know, recruiting, um, it, it's going to get done. You know, the, the coaching staff, one good thing about Ohio State's coaching staff is that, you know, they can leave it up to Mark Pantone and his staff, so to speak, um, because that staff, Pantone and his guys are so good at what they do. Uh, they're as good as it gets in the country. So the coaches can do their recruiting, but really focus on the game. And I think that's what you're going to see again this coming week. They'll be doing some of the, you know, the recruiting stuff that they need to do, but they will be first and foremost focused on winning this game this weekend while Mark Pantone and his staff takes care of things on their end of things. Um, sure, they'd like to have recruits be at that game, but that's not the focus. Um, you know, the focus will be going on. Uh, th- those recruits can't come as a guest of the Buckeyes. They can only come on their own dime and 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 uh, on their own volition. But uh, the big thing is to go out and win the game. And providing they win that game and go to the Final Four, which I think everybody expects to happen, um, that's going to do more than enough to help recruiting. You know, Ohio State goes out, and I, I really felt like at the beginning of the season, I said this, that they were going to run the table in the regular season and, and go undefeated, which they have, and now they just need to finish it off with the Big Ten Championship game and and um, uh, at least one, if not two, wins in the Final Four. And if they do those things, like I think they're very capable of doing, I just think they're the best team in the country. Um, if they do those two things, then that will be a huge boost to recruiting, recruiting that's going extremely well as is. Let's be honest. When the Buckeyes win, it's good for everybody, even the guys at Bucknuts. We appreciate the Dean stopping by. Have a glorious Sunday, Bucknutters. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply